eating is the key to unlocking performance on a race. And we will see more and more focused on this as the sport gets more and more professional. And as it gets faster, the food intake is the key to unlocking that performance. And that applies whether it's your first race and you're just looking to finish or whether you are right at the pointy end looking to win. Food is the key. This is the Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hello, it's Dawn yet again. So hopefully you listened to our earlier episode this week where we chat with my coach, Neil Copeland, on all things ultra cycling. Well, almost all things. One major aspect of these long distance races is eating, eating a lot of food. So today, that's why we're bringing you a bonus episode on ultra eating. We start off with a quick check-in on my training for the race around Rwanda and then go into the importance of nutrition, how you train to eat, yes, you actually need to do this, how much and what to eat on an ultra race, issues that come up and how to avoid them, and why planning is key. We also chat through my recent experience using the Ultra Human Continuous Glucose Monitor and how the insights available through wearing it help me stay fueled during training. I'll be wearing one during my upcoming race, and I'm excited to report back on that. So if you like cycling, and if you like food, you may like this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Neil. Once again, how are you? Dawn, hi. Uh, good to chat again. I am, <laughs> I am very well. Excellent. We're going to just gloss over the fact that we've already been chatting for a little while in preparation of this episode, but excited to have you back on the podcast because the episode earlier this week went live about, you know, all things ultra cycling has done very, very well. People are very interested in ultra cycling. And now we're moving on to another, I guess, well-known yet underappreciated area of ultra cycling, which is ultra eating. <laughs> I, I think underappreciated for anybody who's not actually done a race yet. I think the minute you do your first race, you really get the importance of eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute, but my whole strategy for my second race was eat, feel anything, eat, feel sad, eat, feel tired, eat feel happy, eat, <laughs> feel energetic, eat. And it served me well. It's so. a very good method for making sure you eat enough on an ultra race. Um, I'm a big fan of the film Glengarry Glen Ross. Have you ever seen it? No. Famous <laughs> scene with Alec Baldwin, you know, what does it take to sell? Go and Google it. It's quite funny. Anyway, he's talking about for a salesman, ABC, always be closing, always be closing. When you're an ultra cyclist, Always, Always be, eating. be eating. If you're I would agree. if you're not eating, you should be thinking about eating. Well, it's really what did what did they say? Like, what's the saying? It's really an eating competition on two wheels. Yes, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure who to properly attribute that to. I think the first person I heard using that phrase was James Hayden before the transcontinental race in. 2018 and he said this isn't a cycling race this is an eating competition that happens to be done on two wheels so yeah so we're going to go into all aspects of ultra eating the importance of nutrition pre-race training yourself to eat that much um also when i started doing the rafa 500 around christmas time i wore an ultra human CGM, so measuring my blood glucose uh, levels for that, which was really insightful. So we'll chat through that. We'll also chat through how you actually eat on a race, like what the strategy is. Is it as simple as strategy is just eat, eat, eat? And what happens also, um, you know, when issues come up as they inevitably do. But do we want to chat about my training first or no? Let's gloss yeah. over it. Okay. <laughs> no, let's not gloss over it because it's what, <laughs> three weeks to go? 19 days before Race Around Rwanda? That's right. Yeah. 19 days ahead. So I had a big, a big weekend this yeah. weekend. Um on what was it? Saturday did 146 kilometers, 1500 meters. 
And then on Sunday did 50 kilometers, but all on gravel on a beautiful titanium curve bike, the Kevin, um, which was just phenomenal. I'm going to be riding that, uh, on loan from edge cycling in the race. So I'm super, super excited, but yeah, I feel good. I feel like, obviously I'm tired (laughs) all the time, but I think that's more to do with balancing training and also work, but I feel like I will be in a good place for the race when February 5th rolls around as my coach. Do you think I will be in a good place? Absolutely. Of course right. you're going to be in a good place. Um, and no, I don't mean that as a throwaway comment. Yeah. You know, it's, you've had two really, really good weekends now with long rides on the Saturday backed up with good rides on the Sunday. Uh, you managed to get some really good harder efforts in during the week last week. Um, and not just the harder efforts, but harder efforts built into two hour, three hour sessions. So, you know, your overall fitness has been ramping up your ability to do the long rides, uh, you know, day after day has been improving. So, uh, now it's about one last big push, Mm -hmm. uh, for the next eight, nine days. And then, and then it's all about tapering off and getting ready, uh, for the race. I, you know, I think it's really important when you go into these races, to be um, not tired, not fatigued, it, mm-hmm. being refreshed is better than going in at the absolute peak of physical condition. Um, so taking that time to to taper properly is important. And that gives you a chance to just focus on the last aspects of other elements which are important, like, as we'll talk about, planning, planning your feeding strategy for the race, mm-hmm. planning your sleeping strategy for the race. Um, I'm sure we'll get into... The, the process by which we do that and you know I'll talk about some of the things that uh that I do on a race and we'll and we'll you know we will be going through that with you in the next uh couple of weeks as you get ready for for Rwanda yeah I think the benefit with this race is that this is my fourth now and I've had all very different experiences for all of the races that I've done like the lead up in terms of training the first one I didn't have a coach and I to be honest I felt you know, in hindsight, I was probably fatigued when I started that race. I probably did too much too late right before the race. Corsica, when I engaged you as a coach, I actually felt like I was like, okay, I'm going to trust Neil. But, you know, I hadn't done (laughs) those huge, huge weekends like close to the race like I had with Oman. So I was like, I'm going to trust Neil. Neil knows what he's talking about. And I had a great race. I had a fantastic race. And Taiwan, for reasons out of anyone's control, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that race and um, just decided to to go to the start line and try. But, I mean, the takeaway for that race was um, despite a lack of fitness and lack of, <laughs> I guess, not being in a good mental place, I've actually, I covered the longest amount of distance in the shortest amount of time overall. So um, I was proud of that before you know, before I finally scratched. And sometimes we just have to take the positives from Mm. what was an incredibly difficult race. I mean, Taiwan, I did it the year before and it was hard. The next year, the course was insane that first day. So just making it to the end of that first day was was an incredible achievement. And sometimes we just have to realize that success isn't a given on these things. Failure is often as likely an outcome as success Mm -hmm. uh, and often for reasons outside of our control. So take the learning, move on, go to the next one. So, yeah. So I'm excited about the next, uh, when this goes live on Friday, I'll hopefully be out doing a 10 hour ride. (laughs) Yeah. If my, for everyone, I told Neil this earlier before we started, but I stubbed my toe really bad last night (laughs) and I thought it was broken. So hopefully it's not broken and hopefully I can continue training. (laughs) Um, it'll be fine. (laughs) I, I, you know, I, I, I've crashed two weeks before a race before like one of the biggest races I've done. I did absolutely nothing for the last two weeks before the race. And other than my legs complaining at me for the first six hours of the race, it, it had no impact on, on how I rode, how I did. So mm-hmm. if your toe is broken, then we've got 19 days to get it fixed enough to ride. <laughs> not that you should ride <laughs> on see. a broken toe. No, 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 no. It's not broken. I don't think so. It feels a lot better today. It's just 
bruised really badly. <laughs> Anyways, when I put on the cycling shoes tomorrow, that will be the test. Take a little bit more care going to the grocery store tomorrow, please. Yeah, yeah. I was just excited to go in and get food. <laughs> okay, so the importance of nutrition. <laughs> How important is it pre-race, you know, to get your nutrition right? Because I think one of the funny things is, and you know, when you're deep in training, it seems like I cannot eat enough now and I am hungry all the time and quite often eating high calorie things. So people are like, oh, you're super healthy. You're an ultra cyclist. And yes, I am. You know, I eat generally very balanced, good, good uh, variety of whole foods. But yeah, getting into it, sometimes you just need high calorie foods. But how how important is nutrition? It's absolutely vital. Uh, The phrase is you are what you eat which I think is is absolutely very, very valid. Um, I think pre-race, and by pre-race, I mean, so I, I split my nutrition into two things. What I do on race day, and then what I do outside of race day. And outside of race day will then actually break down to be between when I'm training a lot and then when I'm not training. When I'm not training, it's about understanding that my calorie intake has to reduce, otherwise I will just explode. During periods of intense training or not necessarily intense training but lots of volume there are two aspects to this i think first of all it's it's just around what is a healthy diet and for me you should when you're not racing you should be eating a balanced healthy diet which means zero or as close to zero processed foods as you can uh the appropriate mix of macronutrients so protein fat carbohydrate i try and stick to I guess what you would call good carbohydrates. So avoiding things like white bread, white rice, white pasta, and sticking to wholemeal bread, wholemeal pasta. I avoid potatoes, which is a shame because there is nothing better than a roast potato. Um, And sticking to the bulgur wheat, quinoa, all these things which are high in fiber and they help keep more balanced blood glucose levels. And also eating a lot of vegetables. I remember doing fiber some, is important. Uh, well, it's not just the fiber; it's all those macro. Uh, sorry, all the micronutrients. Mm-hmm. I remember working completely unrelated, but I was doing some work with um, with a startup company, and we were talking to a very eminent doctor, both of both clinical doctor and research doctor here in the UK. And he said he said a couple of things, but he said there's nothing that's not made better by, by more broccoli. Um, Love broccoli. And, Basically saying that that's how your body is designed to take in nutrients and most people just don't eat enough vegetables. Mm -hmm. And the second was that pharmaceutical strength vitamins are not really very good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, We should not resort to supplements and vitamin tablets as, as the first course of getting these things. We should be looking to vegetables, fruit. That's where we get, that's where our body will take the best sources of these vitamins from. So yeah, lots of vegetables. Uh, healthy blend of macronutrients Um, diet is should be what you eat all the time Mm -hmm. I I think the whole concept of a diet being something that you do to change something for a short period of time is 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 not a good thing because you're not making fundamental change diet is just what you eat all the time and and that should always be good and healthy yeah, I agree. <clears throat> so that's that's what I that's how I try and eat. Uh, obviously, nobody's perfect. We all have our kind of vices. Um, roast potatoes and craft beer—they're my two. Um, if I could take those out of my life, I would probably be about five kilos lighter. I think the other really interesting thing, and I think this is the bit that maybe surprises most people is the numbers involved and now i'm just talking pure calories Mm -hmm. the best advice at the moment and and i let me let me kind of um caveat all of this with i i am not an exercise nutritionist Uh, i am a coach so i am looking at the research i'm looking at what exercise nutritionists say the best thing you can do is fuel your riding fuel Mm -hmm. your riding properly um add on your base metabolic rate. And then maybe if you're trying to lose weight, take off 250 to 500 calories a day. Any 
deficit more than that and you're going to put your body into chronic uh, energy deficiency syndrome which mm -hmm. we're understanding you know we briefly touched on this last time we're understanding more and more about how detrimental this is to athletic performance but you still i see this all the time people just not understanding how much to eat mm -hmm. um let's take let's take me as a good example and admittedly i do this for a living so i get to train lots peak training week in the middle of the season i might do 20 to 25 hours of cycling now that's going to be roughly 14 to 18000 calories mm -hmm. just to fuel my cycling that's 2 to 2500 calories in addition every single day of the week so if we assume my base metabolic rate is 2000 calories that's four to four and a half thousand calories every single day just to keep my body level. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> that, that is, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot, a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, a lot. It's a lot of food. Now, yes, some of it you will be eating on the bike and we'll get to, to on bike nutrition. But I think, you know, one of the first things people can do is just Take an interest in, okay, how many calories am I burning when I'm out on a bike? Mm -hmm. How many calories am I burning when I'm out on a run? Um, how do I make sure that I'm at least trying to get close to fueling my exercise? And I think that's a really important way of seeing it is it's fuel. Yeah. What you eat is how you fuel your exercise. I remember the first time I did the 50 kilometer loop in Al Qudra. You know, this is when I was like, I'm ready to be an ultra cyclist <laughs> on my rental bike from Trek doing a 50 kilometer ride. I went fasted and I didn't eat anything. <laughs> and I obviously had water, but I did 50 kilometers fasted and didn't eat at all because, you know, I come from a background like doing CrossFit and things like that. And you, go in the morning, you know, and there's this whole thing. A lot of people work out fasted right in the morning. It's just like, I know a lot of people that do that, whether it's good or bad, or, you know, that's not for me to say, but, but that's the background I was coming at. And I remember I told Chris that I'd done that, that I went out <laughs> riding fasted with no food. And he was like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, but you could, he, and that's kind of the first, you know, for me, the first switch was like, I'm fueling my ride. I'm not, you know, like it's not for me because I think also too, a lot of people, especially women were raised like exercise is a way to lose weight or maintain weight, you know, and that's kind of in your head. So when you start doing an activity like endurance activities and you actually have to switch that and think about how am I going to fuel myself for this ride, for performance, for the whole ride? So that was kind of a big switch for me. But I just remember that first ride. I was like, I must have been dead after. <laughs> Everybody remembers their first ride at Al Qudra. Uh, yeah. I don't think I was fasted because we did it in the afternoon and I will have eaten something during the day. But I went out with probably one bottle of water and no food and <laughs> um, as with my wife. And my wife's an incredible cyclist. And she turned around after 16K going, I can't deal with this. It's crazy I, I think yeah a couple of things to say uh on that there is and again this is based on the research that i look at and i tend to try and rely on scientific papers rather than stuff you read on the internet um there is no you don't need to ride fasted to improve your fat oxidation Mm -hmm. that's, that's the typical argument used ah well by riding fast i'm teaching my body to make better use of fat from the research i have read that's not necessarily true you don't need to be in a fasted state to improve your fat oxidation you can and should eat maintain blood glucose levels and you will still achieve the same adaptations to fat oxidation mm -hmm. um and and the second thing is that, you know, you go out and you ride fasted for two hours, let's say. Uh, you you might burn a thousand calories. Huh? You, you've then put yourself into a thousand calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. Like just being sensible, you think that can't possibly be good for me if I am trying to get my body to perform. Because mm -hmm. that's the goal. The goal is to get our body to perform. 
it's not about do I need to be a, a specific weight? Should it be super light? No, you you need your body to perform, mm-hmm. and so you need to fuel that performance. Yeah, I think it's been an interesting uh, switch. My relationship with food has definitely changed since I have uh, started to do ultra cycling for sure, and. I think in a good way, like, you know, again, it's food is fuel, food is nourishment. It's not, you know, there's not cheat meals and, or anything like that. It's, it's eating nutritiously. And sometimes if you want to have whatever you eat it, you know, but you just balance it out with your training and the rest of your diet or, you know, what you eat that week. Um, so I guess the Rafa 500 for me, where, you know, it was a, it was a pretty intense chunk, you know, from compared to the week before and my earlier training. And, um, I remember every, every time I put in, you know, or I finished you, you say, I don't like to comment on training peaks and I don't, I'm like, Oh, I can't deal with another platform, but you're like, always your comment was, what did you eat? (laughs) What did you eat on this ride? Um, and I think, you know, that was, again, a reminder because I haven't been doing those long distance, intense rides for quite a while now for maybe for a couple of years, really. For me, it was difficult to eat enough. Like it was getting, you know, I was eating and then thinking I'm eating so much. Surely this is too much. (laughs) I think it is impossible to eat too much. And, And let me kind of clarify what i mean by that you can it will be impossible for you to eat more than you are burning in calories whilst you are riding your bike at that kind of intensity so i'm like say i'm going out and i'm riding at a steady endurance pace that i can do for a long period of time and i am burning 500 calories an hour Mm -hmm. that's 125 grams of carbohydrate every single hour i can't eat that much Mm-hmm. So I am always going to be maintaining a calorie deficit when I'm riding. It is possible to eat more than your body can process. And I think that's where we get to the the crux of the, the challenge. When somebody says, how much should you eat? I was listening to a really good podcast the other day, which I think was with um, – Tade Pagacha's coach, fascinating. Any any uh, chance you get to listen to Inyo San Milan, he's he's a really interesting guy to listen to. And uh, and that was talking about lots of different things, but amongst them fueling. And the question is, how much should you eat? And the answer is, as much as you can tolerate. Mm-hmm. The question is, how much can you tolerate? And what does that, what does actually tolerance mean? Tolerance means how much can you eat before you exhibit gastric distress? And that might be, you know, I guess a real-time feedback in terms of you eat too much and then you vomit. And we've all heard tales of people trying to do an Ironman on gels. And by hour six, they've just had so many gels, they are in serious gastric distress. Um, And and obviously it can have longer-term impacts when we're talking about, say, a 14-day ultra race. You know, gastric distress and issues with your digestion can play out over over longer periods of time. So, yeah, it is about eating as much as you can tolerate. On that, so a lot. Go ahead. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a lot, a lot. (laughs) It is a lot, a lot. So we'll go into. I want to chat through because. I, during the RAF of 500 that I did those 500 kilometers in five days, I wore an ultra human CGM. So I could actually monitor my blood glucose levels for each of those rides. Before we go into talking through some of that data <laughs> and just going back to your point about, you know, sweets and gels and, uh, on endurance races and rides, I did ask a couple of ultra cyclist friends that I have that, you know, as well before <laughs> some of their approaches to eating on a race and training. I asked Eleonora Balby, who's done two editions of the race around Rwanda, and hopefully we're going to get her on the podcast to speak about it. She said her approach is to eat as often as possible, but not in bulk. I would agree with that. She said she's not really big on the sweet side, but rather look for savory or salty foods. She said she can chase her away with Snickers or any kind of gel bars, gels, 
ew. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would agree with all of those things. I think eating frequently, but like not a huge, you know, like just munching away (laughs) for the course of a ride. Um, I did also eat, or I did also (laughs) eat all this dog of food. I asked James Kirk, who you know as well. I asked James Kirk um, about his views and he said, eating when you're, when you aren't hungry is a hard thing to do and you have to do it, unfortunately, <laughs> which is quite, you know, cause a lot of people said to me like, oh my God, you can eat anything you want, like anything. And they think it's like, you know, this, this magical, like four days of, of eating whatever you want. And you're like, no, it is hard work, but <laughs> Back to what James said, he said he also stays away from sugary stuff um, as it only works for a day or two. And then it seems to suppress his his appetite and that have proper food and eat it on the bike. I, I think there's a a number of different, you know, some good, good points raised by both of them and some interesting things that, to then dig into. And this, now we're starting to talk about, okay, so how do we, how do, we do this on a race? Mm-hmm. I think so. the two key points of there are little and often mm-hmm. and always, uh, and then understanding what works for you. And I think this is where ultra cycling, let's deal with that bit first, and then we'll come back to the, the little and often and, and the volumes. This is not a six-hour road race. This is not a four-hour road race. This is not a 12-hour or 14-hour Ironman. This is something that can take two, three, four 14 days it's a very different beast that we are dealing with what you okay so we've talked about how much should you eat well the answer is as much as you can tolerate the second question you often get asked is well what should i eat and obviously there's all this stuff about well if you eat mix this blend of fructose with this blend of maltodextrin then you get this amazingly super absorbable uh carbohydrate powder that you can mix into your drink yeah brilliant you ain't going to find that in the middle of bosnia at 11 o'clock at night when you've run out of food also you're not going to be able to consume 350 calories of that an hour for 16 hours a day for 14 days you would literally be ruined destroyed so in terms of the what should you eat and i think this plays to to both of the comments by by eleanor and james it's what you fancy Mm -hmm. and so if you reach into your back pocket you're hungry you've been riding for six seven hours you reach into your back pocket and you pull out a gel or the aforementioned snickers bar and you go oh i can't face that and you put it back and you don't eat then that is the wrong thing to eat. Mm-hmm. If you reach into your back pocket and you pull out a nice sandwich, savory sandwich with your favorite filling, and you look at that and you go, yes, I really want to eat that, then that's the right thing to eat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it is really important for people when you're thinking about an ultra race is to think about, well, what am I going to be able to get? I are we talking petrol stations, supermarkets? Are we talking roadside cafes? What am I going to be able to get? And then also, what do I think I will want at any given period in time? Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that Snickers bars are bad. Snickers bars have fueled some of the biggest race wins in ultra cycling. If you were to I don't open know why up, Snickers is not getting involved in like sponsoring some of these I, because I, it seems knows? to be... You know, so I think, and, <laughs> I and, must have eaten about twenty, and I think, and oh my, <laughs> yeah, generally, and it is, it's a numbers game. It's about get, it's generally about getting as many carbs in as you can. Mm-hmm. It is still important to get some fat. It is important to get some protein, and there is some interesting evidence on increasing your protein intake can really, really help with a long ultra race. But generally, it's about numbers of carbs. Snickers. I think Snickers are popular because you look at Snickers and you think, oh, that's a large number of calories. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's full of peanuts, which are full of fat. So, and fat is much more calorie dense than sugar. Mm-hmm. So there's four calories per gram of, uh, of sugar and there are nine calories per gram of fat. So you pack a chocolate bar with a load of peanuts and you'll get more, more calories in. 
Ulrich Bartholomew's one of the best racers on the planet right now. He is renowned for using, you know, Snickers. If you were to open up his top tube bag before a race, you will find he can cram 30 Snickers bars into his top tube bag. And that will keep him going for the first 24 hours of the race. Mm-hmm. He can probably eat them faster than that, to be honest. Um, so, you know, yes, they they absolutely can work. And a lot of people do just take lots and lots and lots of chocolate bars. Another another guy that I met on um, Two Volcanoes, uh, who's also a, a, an ultra-endurance coach, uh, although more focused on the running than the cycling, Robbie Britton. He just had like 20 packs of Mentos. And he said, because they're great, because I can rip it open, pour a thing of Mentos in, boom, instant calories. And he said, the other good thing about it is I can run into a shop and I can buy an armload of them really, really fast. So no decision-making, no worrying about what to get. He just goes and buys the shop out of Mentos. Interesting. So sugar, you know, th- that kind of approach does work. But I think those two probably have spent a lot of time eating those kinds of diets whilst racing and Mm. developing their tolerance to it. Yeah. I mean, let's take a step back to go back to some of the training that I've done. Let's talk about me for a minute. (laughs) Um, Because I think it's important though, because I am like James and Eleanor on a race. I love savory foods. Like I have a, I can eat sugar up to a limit and then it just kind of grosses me out like for the rest of uh, for the rest of the race. But during training, because I'm not riding like, you know, 12 hour, 18 hour days, I am eating a lot of sugar. And when I was doing that training, um, I'll say, you know, I keep referring back to the Rafa because it was just, again, an intense period. And I was wearing the ultra human CGM, I could see exactly how much I needed to eat. And we went through the data before, the first day, you know, again, I feel like I'm eating a lot, but my my blood glucose levels were below, were below my target range, even though I felt like I was eating a lot. And then it progressively got better as I saw, you know, the results, right? And that ended up being that ended up being, I think my by the end of that week, I realized I needed to eat probably about 80 grams of sugar, like of, you know. I had Habibi, not Haribo. <laughs> Off friend Haribo, Habibi. <laughs> um, I had those kind of sweets, 80 grams, and I ate at least one of those an hour or eight of something else. Like I mixed it yeah. up. I didn't just have kind of, you know, gummy bear type food. But then by the end, you know, as you saw as well, my my um, my glucose leather levels were a lot steadier for the rest of, you know, the rest of the training. And that will fuel your performance. That yeah. you, even though we're riding at an endurance pace, you will still be. That will still fuel your performance. That will still enable better performance. You'll see lower levels of, of cardiac drift, and it will be lead to better outcomes. Yeah, I think it's really going through the data. What was really interesting was how how it impacted your fueling. Mm-hmm. And and it's probably more about I think the real advantage of these things is just looking at those trends, yeah, and understanding. Okay, well here it kind of is saying that I'm just not eating enough, even though you think you are. Mm-hmm. So you increase that intake, and the blood glucose goes up, and then you start to perform better. Yeah, I, I've done some very similar experiments out in Dubai, just really focusing on on fueling on like three to four hour rides. And almost eating continuously and, and not necessarily sugar, but a mix of sugar and savory. Mm-hmm. And the difference in how you perform is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting to see how how that real-time data then helps inform your fueling. Yeah. I well, I told you I'm gonna wear one during the race as well, race around Rwanda. So I think that'll be really interesting to see how well I actually do do. And you know, it's hard. I find personally, I don't know if you're the same way, but when your blood sugar is low, sometimes you don't, it's hard to take your body's cues on that. You know, I kind of, I'm getting better at it now. Like, but that's, you know, a lot of training has kind of led me to that. I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling a little tired, you know, maybe it's time to eat. And then when I get off the bike or when I stop to eat, I then see, yes, my blood glucose levels are low, you know, which is, 
it's helpful. It w- I found it really, really helpful to have that data and be able and to incorporate that. Glucose um, is the fuel of your brain. Yeah. So the, the brain can't use fat as an energy source. So yes, you are going to start probably making questionable decisions if you, you know, you, you won't be thinking as fast. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is really, uh, really important. Um, <laughs> and I think that comes back to, so maybe it's worth looking at how do I approach these things, both from a, um, how much and what perspective when mm-hmm. I'm starting a race. And cause you know, I, th- I think you said that James, James's observation was you have to, or forcing yourself to eat when you don't want to is really difficult, mm. and, but it is really essential. You look at the top racers on short courses and they will, they will have their food planned out all the way through. Mm. I know when I do a short course race, uh, my first race of, de- of next year, or sorry, of this year is going to be Dale's Divide, which is 600K off-road. Where is that? Uh, 600K off-road through uh, the north of the UK. So it starts in Arnside, uh, goes across to Scarborough, and then back again. Fantastic race, fantastic route. Um, I know before I start, I know exactly where I'm going to be stopping for food. I'll know pretty much how much food I'm going to buy at each stop. And I think this year I'll even know exactly where I'm going to be stopping for water. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the level of planning the top racers are doing because you can't afford to waste any time. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the how much to start with. And, you know, for me, the less you need to get off your bike, the better. So if you are physiologically capable of riding for 12 hours without stopping, then, and obviously you're going to have to stop for water because it's hard to carry 12 hours worth of water, but that's a re- generally a really quick stop. Then carrying enough food to fuel you for 12 hours is a good approach. So I will typically start any race with 5,000 calories. Right, on your bike. On my bike. And that will be that will be a mixture of things. So yes, that will be probably six chocolate bars, two or three flapjacks. It will be three large packs of wine gums or Haribo or licorice all sorts. It will be probably three packs of sandwiches. So, you know, a typical double sandwich that you might get from a service station. And then I will also throw in something protein and salty uh, and fatty. So pepperami snacks, or in the UK, we have pepperami snacks. Mm -hmm. And they're almost like a little bit of a guilty pleasure for quite a few of the top races I've seen. They come in these little green packets and I've seen the little green packets poking out of quite a few people's uh, jersey pockets. And they're sometimes you just want, you want salt. And yeah. this is basically it's salami sausage. So it's a really mm-hmm. good way of getting some salt and some fat and some protein into the system. So amongst all of those things, that's 5,000 calories. And I know that will get me through I'm usually trying to target 350 to 400 calories an hour. So I know that that is enough to get me through 12 to 14 hours of the race. And from there, I can then plan my stops as I go around. So, you know, if I'm taking, again, let's take Dale's Divide. I know that, okay, I can get from the start to York. York, I'll be able to refuel. I might quickly stop in Scarborough. And so, yeah, York, you'll be hitting probably 14 hours into the race. Scarborough, you'll be hitting 20 hours into the race, approximately. Uh, and then on coming back across the country, North Allerton, you hit uh, 36 hours in. And at each one, I'll be able to stop and get 5,000 calories. Right. Now that then leads into the process, and this is where... This is where it, it really helps. It's to have a process and use all of the tools at your disposal. I have my Garmin set up to beep at me every half an hour saying eat. I also have it set to beep every thousand calories saying eat. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting these constant reminders on my head unit saying you need to eat some more. So what I will try and do is I have a thing every hour and by a thing that's going to be a chocolate bar or mm-hmm. an oatmeal bar or a sandwich. Um, I will then fill that, fill in the gaps with the sweets. So I'll typically graze on wine gums and you might get through a quarter of a packet an hour. Top that up with a Snickers bar or an oat, or an oat bar 
or a sandwich when you get later into the race. And, and I'll typically, the first five to six hours, absolutely fine just eating sweets and, and chocolate bars. Then as I get into the latter stages of the first day, then I'll be switching to uh, more of the sandwiches. And then moving on from that, I'll mix it all up throughout the day so that I'm, I've am i always got something that I want to eat on me. Because mm-hmm. that's the real, what you don't want to do is find you've only got Snickers bars and the last thing you want is a Snickers bar. Yeah. Or you have, the only thing you have left is a salt beef sandwich. And the last thing you want is a salt beef sandwich. You always want something that you want to eat. Um, well, so, so that then builds in that process. So with those, you know, eating something every hour, then do you recommend then stopping for a big meal? I think it depends on the race. For me, it really depends on the time you're going to be on the race. And, and the biggest one I hear is people going, oh, I I have to have a proper meal every day. And it's like, no, you don't. Challenge yourself. It's a two-day race. Do you really? Can you really not go 48 hours without sitting down for an hour to have a mm-hmm. proper meal? I bet you everybody can. It's about challenging your preconceptions about what you can and can't do. So on a short race, no, I won't, I won't stop for proper food. Let's talk about long races though, because I think if you make me go more than two days without sitting and having an, I think it's more than just your actual, you know, neat, like calorie needs. I think it's also mentally good to no, it, sit it, down it, and have a nice warm meal. Absolutely. But on then, a race. It's, then it's about understanding, okay, I mentally, I struggle without that stopping. So how do I work on that? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you're going to go out there first race, do 48 hours straight without stopping for proper food, without sleeping. That takes a lot of practice, but it's what to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe aspiration is the wrong word because it's a terrible thing to aspire to. I don't think to. I ever aspire for this. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's about try not to put preconceived ideas of what you need to do in your head. So... I must like it's the I must sleep for six hours a day. I must eat a hot meal every day. Challenge those preconceptions because you may be able to move past them. Yeah. But on a longer race, yeah, because uh, I think the longer the race, the more you'll struggle to get the food in. And I find there's always some, there's always a need to stop for a little bit every day. Uh, and then it's about learning or developing the ability to do that really quickly. And yeah. the best one, okay, this isn't really going to work in Rwanda, but the best in most of the world or certainly most of Europe is McDonald's. Burger Golden King. Arches. <laughs> I, you know, McDonald's, you can go in 20 minutes, you can get through 2000 calories. Yeah. And the best thing is you can also then buy three cheeseburgers and stick them in your back pocket. And those cheeseburgers stay warm for quite some time. And they probably never ever, ever come back. <laughs> and they are, and you know, it's back to, it's back to what do I want to eat? I remember yeah. on Transcontinental last year, I'd stopped, I just crossed the border from Slovenia into Croatia came right through the middle of Zagreb, stopped in Zagreb in McDonald's, had eight. And, you know, again, it's process. I know what I want. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm going to get a large Coke. I'm going to get a quarter pounder with cheese. I'm going to get nine chicken nuggets and I'm going to get three cheeseburgers and I'm going to get a large fries. And that's a horrifying amount of food. (laughs) And basically you inhale everything bar the three cheeseburgers in about 20 minutes. I think I actually also video called my wife saying I'm struggling mentally here. I, I'm not feeling good about pushing through the night. She just said, some people have to get up to go to work on a Monday. This is your job. Go out there and get riding. <laughs> she just like, eat your burgers and shut up. <laughs> yeah, eat your burgers and get up, move on. <laughs> Thanks, dear. She'll kill me for that one. Um, and then I put these three cheeseburgers into my back pocket and I carried on riding and I left to grab seven o'clock that night. I think I rode till 1.30 in the morning, slept, uh, hid myself away in somebody's allotment and slept in my tent, uh, got three hours sleep and then pushed on. And about two hours later, you know, I'm just, oh God, I'm really hungry. And I reach into my back pocket and out comes this cheeseburger, which had now, by now, had warmed up nicely. 
next to, you know, in my back pocket. And it, it was the most delicious thing ever. It was amazing. And it just gave me such a lift, you know? So, yeah, cheeseburgers in your back pocket. Amazing. I think we're going to horrify back... some non-ultra cyclists with this conversation. I know, I know. And like I say, it's a re- it is a really hard thing for people who've never done this to get their head around. Yeah. It's, it's all about the eating. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, back to eat what you want to eat. So if like Eleanor and James, sweet stuff you can't stomach, then go with savoury. I, I would probably suggest that developing a taste for sweet stuff is going to help because there are times where you need to get glucose into your body quite quickly mm-hmm. uh, and eating a, a chicken burger or a cheeseburger might not do that very fast. So, you know, sugar, there's a reason that all of the talk, you know, when you're on a, an Ironman or a one-day race that everybody takes gels, there's a reason for that. Mm. Uh, so don't discount sugar altogether. But yeah, work out what what you like, work out what works for you. Well, on this, because I think this brings up an interesting point that I've experienced myself as well. So, I mean, I asked a couple of people different things, like what are some of the challenges? And Eleanor actually volunteered that eating enough and actually wanting to eat it, you know, so she talks about before not sweet stuff, but she said, once I'm tired and exhausted, my body is a weird approach at love. Let's not waste any energy chewing or swallowing and probably digesting too, because digesting takes energy. And then, you know, it ends up preventing her from eating. And my last experience, like in Taiwan, I just didn't want to eat anything. I was like, disgusted by food, (laughs) you know, and I, I forced myself, like I said, okay, stop at, you know, this wonderful 7-Eleven. I have a million different options of things to eat. And I literally had to force myself to eat because I just didn't want to eat. I was so sick of food Yeah, <laughs> that day. So what, I mean, you know, other than just getting over yourself and just doing it, like in eating and knowing you have to, like, how would you manage that on a race when you're at that level, you're at that point where you're just like, I cannot eat anymore. Everything's grossing me out. So it happened to me on the Dales Divide last year. My eating had been going really, really well. And then at about 10 o'clock at night, I'd stopped in a petrol station to get more food and I drank a bottle of Lucozade. What's Lucozade? It doesn't so Luc- sound, Lucozade sounds like a cleaning product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for those of you not in the UK, um, <laughs> Lucozade's like Gatorade. Right, okay, got uh, I would it. Say. It's like the British version of it. And <laughs> it's it's a fizzy glucose-based drink. And I think I'd been, it was just a different sugar because uh, most of the sweets I'd had were fructose. Mm-hmm. And it just upset my stomach. And for about four or five hours through the night, I really struggled. And I think there's a couple of things you can do. Firstly, if the food's not coming in, just slow down a little bit because you're going to, it's going to impact you. And then I had to just gradually, you know, I could eat a wine gum, like one wine gum every 20 minutes was just about all I could manage, but also having some savory food and with water, I'll always try and make sure I've just got, I always use plain water in my bottles. I'll never mix carb drink, mix in that. Um, and I just had to wait the process out, like wait for the, cause I, I knew that it would come back to me. I just had to keep testing it mm-hmm. and keep trying to force myself to eat something until my appetite started to come back and it took yeah four or five hours and then i got to uh, i got to scarborough and went into greg's and had a steak slice which again probably means nothing to anybody outside of the uk what is greg's greg's <laughs> greg's the bakers it's you know it's where you go to get cheap pastry products right like sausage rolls and you know steak slices and they do like a vegan slice now Got it. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. You you'll only you will only find them in the UK. Right. But yeah, by by then five hours later, I could get food down, and then another two hours later, and I was back full steam ahead, smashing through Snickers bars and sandwiches and wine gums like they were going out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And I turned it into a. Sometimes I turn it into a game. You know, TCR. It was collect the Haribo. How many different kinds of Haribo can I find? I'll, I'll try and pull together a photo of them because I I think I probably tried like 15 different kinds of Haribo 
during TCR. What's your favorite? Oh, there was um, there was some kind of purpley pink one that I've never seen. I From what country? In, I think it was like Bosnia or Bulgaria. And yeah, mind-blowingly good. Really loved it. So, you know, it, it, it could be something as simple as that. If all you've been eating is wine gums and suddenly you get like marshmallows, that might be enough for you to go, ooh, marshmallows, nice. Just try to switch it up a bit. Yeah. I'm, you know, when I was a kid, I was never allowed to smash down marshmallows till they just filled my mouth. I'm going to do that now. <laughs> so live out all. <laughs> you Think more about... horror from everybody who's not done an ultra cycling race. <laughs> Yeah, I sorry to burst everyone's bubbles. Like it's not as fun as everyone thinks it is eating no, it, eating this amount of food, this volume of food. Yeah, for me, I mean, Rwanda, I was speaking to Eleonora about it and she's vegan as well, which adds a whole new layer of complication for some countries. And she said actually Rwanda was quite good for vegetarians or vegans. Like there was buffets generally in these little towns at lunch and those like rice and beans and avocado and things like that that were enough for her. So I have still to do some research and kind of my planning on term, you know, for my strategy and looking up where towns are and what's available necessarily in that particular town. But I will probably be taking, I, I think my, my initial strategy is to take a lot with me and then try to get pick up stuff on the road, you know, as much as I can and keep a little reserve <laughs> yeah. in my bag. And, and this is where preparation is so important. Mm -hmm. And from the point of view of understanding, okay, what is the country like? What food is available? And then, you know, making sure you tailor your approach to that. Because Rwanda, yeah, you're definitely going to take a different approach because you're not going to be able to stop in a 24-hour petrol station and have 17 different kinds of Haribo presented to you mm -hmm. and a coffee machine. It's going to be small stalls. Maybe you'll pick up some local chocolate bars. Maybe you'll be able to get, yeah, rice and potatoes. It's going to be a very, very different approach. So you do need to understand, you know, what's available in that country. The second level of preparation really is around understanding, okay, when can I stop? Where can I stop? What are all the options available to me? And yeah, the best riders are not only the fastest, but they're also the best prepared. They will know all of the places to stop. They'll you know, and people take different strategies towards it. Some people will put points of interest into their, you know, GPS head unit. I tend to have notes on my phone, so I will break a break a ride up into three hundred kilometer sections, and I will note down four or five potential resupply points for every three hundred kilometers. I know that I'm only going to need probably one of those, given that how much I carry with me at any given time. Mm -hmm. But it's about preparation and it's about planning and understanding how how that fits in, and and that's where you you can see people who are new to this from people who are very experienced. Like people who are new to it will will come in and they might ride for 100K and they'll see somewhere. Right, here, well, here's a really good example. G GB Escapades is a race in the UK. It's 480 kilometers around the North and South Downs, mostly or 50-50 on-road, off-road, with some really good terrain. There is a petrol station after 75K. So you may be four hours in. And I've not run out of food four hours in. I know full well there's another one at 135K. And actually, I know full well that I can probably make it to Hazelmere at 230K, where there's a 24-hour garage. But everybody sees this petrol station. They go, oh, it's a petrol station. I better stop. I better stop because they haven't thought through where do I need to stop. Mm -hmm. They stop for 15 minutes. I've ridden by. They won't see me again because you'll gain more time in 15 minutes by carrying on riding than you ever will by riding fast. So, and and that's that's some of the, you know, a lot of the real differences. People who have gone through the planning are experienced enough to know how much they're carrying, how long that can last, where that will get them to, they will stop less. Yeah, I think planning is key on my agenda over the next two weeks. I wanted to ask you if it's not already your McDonald's where you're calling your wife and she's telling you to shut up and eat your burgers. <laughs> what was your most memorable meal <laughs> on an ultra race? Oh, that is a really tough, tough question. There's probably a few that stick out. I think one of the most 
memorable was on the Inca Divide in 2018. There's this section where you've been riding along at like three and a half thousand meters and you then over the space of like 13 kilometers 15 kilometers you descend from three and a half all the way down to 2200 cross a river and then you climb all the way back up again so you get to the top of this descent and you can see the other side of the valley and you can almost reach out and touch it but you know that that's five hours away and it just feels so futile and i remember getting to the top and i went into this village and went into this restaurant and it was during the world cup and england were playing i think we were playing algeria or somebody i'll need to i'll need to dig that dig that out and find out who exactly we were playing and that was on in the corner and i remember that i ordered i made this the silly mistake of not asking what's quick so they give me this menu with everything on and I must have pointed at chicken. And of course, chicken, they didn't have chickens that day. But rather than say to me, we've got no chicken, they obviously ran off to find a chicken. <laughs> and the guy behind me, he comes in, he orders something else like lomo saltado, which is like beef maybe. And his plate comes out in like three minutes whilst they're still trying to find my chicken. And uh, yeah, that stuck in my mind. I think a lot of a lot of the ones in Taiwan when you're sitting down and you're eating noodles at three o'clock in the morning, that's always, you know, that was always memorable. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's usually the ones where it, go, it goes wrong and you start to get frustrated. Uh, I, the TCR in 2019, I remember coming around Lake Como and Lake Como was terrible because it was really busy. An Italian guy had hit me in the back with his car uh, luckily it didn't damage anything uh you're just hot frustrated and i got to this restaurant and i thought right i'm gonna sit down and have some i'll have pizza because pizza's quick right mm -hmm. and it took like an hour for this pizza to arrive and <laughs> you're, you know, not... you're just getting well, when angry I think and Neil... more frustrated <laughs> Neil, i think you should look at a menu and choose something and then choose the complete opposite because it seems like whatever Probably. you want just takes a long time mcdonald's that's why you know you stick to stick to mcdonald's yeah uh, i'm just uh trying to I, I a lot of it then also comes down to like hilarious petrol stations that you've been to because most of the time you're eating in a petrol station that's right and i remember sitting under the canopy of a petrol station in barnoldswick on gb divide two years ago and literally you couldn't see because of this curtain of rain coming down it was like someone had tipped a lake from the sky and you sat there eating your Cornish pasty and drinking your Lucasade, just asking yourself, why am I doing this? What am I doing? This is nuts. Yeah. So there's a few. Are we selling people an ultra cycling? No, not really. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, everybody, come do an ultra race. It's so much You'll fun. You'll question all of your life decisions multiple times in a day. Um. I did ask, I did ask everyone who I talked to what their most memorable meal was. And you mentioned Bosnia before. I forget which context you mentioned something about Bosnia. Oh, I have many experiences in Bosnia. What you uh, mentioned earlier in the podcast when we were talking. Anyways, we'll uh, skip ahead. Up. Maybe this will jog your memory because I asked James what his most memorable meal was. And he said, late at night, he found a, a, a bed and breakfast in Banja Luka, which is in Bosnia. There was no answer at the door. He went around the back of the house to see a full 50th birthday happening, like a barbecue party in full swing. And they were all drunk. <laughs> they all drunk too much. So they gave him a huge plate of meat. <laughs> and then he slept under, in uninterrupted for three full hours. Chris was saying one of his most memorable. And again, it's not a meal because sometimes you're just eating on the bike. He said he was crossing France from Grenoble to um, Brest in the TCR. I guess that's the first one he did. He was having like 15 pan au chocolat a day and still losing weight. Julie talks about crying. <laughs> Julie Melville talks about crying at the base of Taroko um, because there was little she could eat. She's got some food intolerances and um, she ended up having her a Red Bull and suddenly wasn't sad anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I've got, like, I totally get that. You get a bit of sugar and somehow your mood is all of a sudden elevated. I think for me, 
one of my most memorable meals was, first of all, let me say this about France. I love France. France is a beautiful country. France has beautiful food, yet I have never had so much trouble trying to get food (laughs) as I have in France. I don't understand the opening hours. I don't understand when things are open. You're like, presumably this is lunch. This lunch place will presumably be open at lunch and it's closed for some reason for lunch. <laughs> like, so, so here's a question. If, if any of the French are listening, like, how does France not go bankrupt every August? <laughs> it's like, it's ridiculous. Everywhere's shut. I, I, France is the worst. It is the worst place. It's the best ra- yet the worst. Like, because the food you do get is good. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like nothing is open. Nothing I is open. I was uh, on that TCR that um chris was talking about i remember coming through grenoble because i used to live there so i I lived in grenoble for a year and i love the place and i remember going past a kfc that was open and i kind of you know looked at it and 10 minutes later i was like you should you idiot you should have stopped (laughs) yeah fast forward three hours and i've not seen anything at all nothing no nowhere and i end up in this little village i was desperate for the loo and it had a little kind of lock-up loo which i managed to get my bike inside with me and then i found i I, I, this seems daft but it it i seem to remember it was like a dvd rental place like surely nobody they don't exist anymore. Right? <laughs> and I went into this, what I thought I think was a DVD rental place. I mean, who knows what they were renting. And they happened to sell sweets that you could eat whilst you were watching your DVD. And I literally <laughs> cleared them out of sweets because I was so desperate for food. And then, and that's all I could eat. And it really wasn't going down very well. And then uh, two hours later, I came over this hill and I'm, I'm on my knees at this point and the golden arches appear. And it was like a miracle. Oh, hallelujah. Well, yeah, I think for me, it wasn't necessarily a meal, but it was in Corsica because I think the first biking man Corsica, that first 170, 180 kilometers from the start to CP1, there was literally, literally one place to stop. And I didn't stop there, which was fine. I had enough food with me. I was totally prepared. Um, But the next morning... You know, we're stopped in this little village. Nothing is open. I think there were a few scraps of bread (laughs) floating around. I had some of that. I think I still had some stuff in my bag, but I went, did a climb and had the coldest descent of my life where I questioned my life decisions and what I was doing and why I was there and then stopped at a spa grocery store, which had beautiful hot croissants and i stayed there i think for a while to warm up but that's what i remember that was one of my I, most i know ones. the spa you're talking about and that saved many a ultra racer's life on on biking man corsica yeah um but that's a really it's a very important point is always make sure you've got something for the next day emergency yeah you're often starting at like three four five o'clock in the morning and nothing is open so you need to have food to get you through the first four hours of the day. So back to all comes back to process. I will make sure that I check in with myself at around five, six o'clock and just work out have I got enough food to get me through till 10 o'clock in the morning? If not, where am I going to stop? Where am I going to get food from? And it's not about getting food for the night. It's often about getting food for the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that people probably don't really consider. So we've spent about an hour. (laughs) You promised we would talk for less than an hour. (laughs) Well, there's a lot to say about food, about ultra eating. We didn't even touch upon some some of the other stuff. But um, what are some key takeaways here for me? And tell me if you agree or not and add in your own. Planning is key. Plan your route, know where you can stop, bring enough food with you uh, to identify those, you know, the gaps in like, if you know you're going to have like a 200 kilometer stretch where 
in France, for example, or <laughs> anywhere else. The whole of France. <laughs> if you if you go to France, you need to plan probably. But planning is key. So yeah, plan yourself accordingly, race management and all that kind of stuff. Um, say no to gels. <laughs> Don't rely on gels. Don't rely on them. Don't rely on them. Maybe bring an emergency one. Maybe uh, you know, sugar works for a lot of people. Don't sugar works, but if you're going to eat sugar, eat something good, not a gel. Uh, Ah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, who wants to eat gels when you can eat like wine gums or Haribo? Yuck, gels. Anyways, eat what you want. Eat what you like. Savor your sweet. Mix in a bit of sugar every now and again because you need quick glucose. And maybe my strategy in racing in Biking Man Corsica was a good one. Feel anything and eat. <laughs> yeah, eat more than you think you should be because you will not eat enough. I, I think for me, the key thing or the key takeaway for people is that eating is the key to unlocking performance on a race. And we will see more and more focused on this as as the sport gets more and more professional and as it gets faster, the food intake is the key to unlocking that performance. And that applies whether it's your first race and you're just looking to finish or whether you are right at the pointy end looking to win. Food is the key. I think, yeah, on that note, I'm going to go make some dinner. (laughs) And I'm going to finish my sandwich that I wouldn't eat on mic. But thank you very much, Neil, for joining us again on the podcast. I think, um, you know, I know people find this useful, particularly those who are entering into the world of ultra cycling (laughs) and have yet, hopefully they can learn from some of our mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That we have made along the way. So yeah, thank you again. Well, it's it's been a pleasure. Um, I think, you know, if there's anybody in this part of the world who might want to put any of this into practice then I, I know we called this out last time but i've been working with uh, yasmin muller on cycling or ultra cycling specific training camps where this is one of the topics we actually not just cover but allow people to put into practice and work on so you know we're we're putting putting things in place to help people actually get practical experience and and develop their skills so if that's interest anybody dm me Find us on Instagram. Slide into Neil's boost, DMs. Dot, slide into my DMs <laughs> or uh, or go and find .booster.academy because uh, I think that's going to be a really, really good way for a lot of people to start to get a handle on this kind of thing. When is that happening? When is the training? Uh, it is going to be the 20th to the 27th of May. Mm, okay. It will be in Brecon uh, in South Wales and it will be a lot of riding, um, a lot of... Uh, opportunity to practice while camping, bivvying, uh, but we also have accommodation provided for everybody taking part. And yeah, just the chance to spend a week with myself and Yasmin going through a lot of the the, the things like eating, navigation, planning, mechanics, uh, bike fit, the things that will enable a successful ultra race, and then the chance to put it into practice with some some long rides, some group rides, some solo rides, and some overnight rides. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Should be, yeah. Anyway, it's perfect. We'll put all the details for that in the show notes. And thank you again. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.